Good morning. We will be in the book of 2 Corinthians and the 10th chapter. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians and the 10th chapter. Uh, big thanks to Dr. Daniel Overdorf, who shared with you a word last week. I uh, heard that uh, he did a wonderful job. I got to listen to his uh, sermon a little bit on my way to church, and uh, so it was, a, it was a blessing to have him here to share with you. Um, but we are back in this uh, sermon series on spiritual warfare. The sermon series is called Unseen, and it's about the spiritual warfare that's happening around us. And this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, dives right into that topic. So let's take a look at what, what it has to say. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take it captive, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Let's pray together. Father, as we enter this time where we study your word, we know that your Holy Spirit is active and moving among us. And I pray that your spirit will pierce each one of our hearts, that your spirit will guide and lead the conversation, that, Lord, you will open our eyes and our minds to do the truth to be revealed today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I've only been in two fights my whole life. The first fight I was ever in was in fourth grade. The kid was my best friend. Don Terlosky was his name. We were in Cub Scouts together. And I, I don't even remember what the argument was about, but I remember we were walking to recess, and every once in a while we just kind of punch each other in the gut. We were just upset with each other. That was the only physical altercation that I ever threw a punch. The second time was in seventh grade, and I remember that I was in the boys' bathroom, and this kid was picking on me while I was using the restroom. And I got done, and I got right up in his face and told him to stop doing it, and he just punched me right in the gut. I remember I curled over in a ball, and I cried. I'm not a fighter, folks. I'm not a fighter. My failed attempts at being a fighter have empowered me, however, to use my words in time of turmoil 
in harmful situations. The last instance I had that was anywhere close to a fight was in eighth grade, and it was a bully. And I want to mind, remind you, I'm five foot ten now, but I didn't hit puberty until eighth grade, and so I was tall. And let me just give you a picture. I was 120 pounds in college, so I was tiny. And this dude had hit puberty, I think, in fourth grade. He was huge. He was a big dude. And I don't remember his name. We'll call him John. I just remember he was ready to pick a fight with me. And I gathered a crowd around, and I said, hey, everybody, come watch Big John here beat me up. Come watch him beat my little scrawny butt. Come and watch how strong and big he is and how widow I am. And I just remember he said whatever and walked away. Now, there's different ways to handle conflict, right? Some folks are fighters, right? Some people use words to manipulate, and some maybe just like to flee from a conflict. It appears that what we have in this passage today is a conflict, and it seems to be pretty big. I mean, the words that Paul uses here lead me to believe that he's pretty upset about what's being said behind his back. It appears that Paul is being accused of being timid when in person, but bold and confrontational in his letters. He's being accused of hiding behind a pen, and Paul is defending himself before these Corinthians who are slandering his name with false narratives, false accusations. And through his defense, what we really get is insight into the spiritual war that we struggle with day to day. He's basically saying, before you make these false accusations, open your eyes to the spiritual war that's happening right there in your midst. It seems to be happening with our minds. And author Edward Sanford Martin said in his uh, article entitled, My Name is Legion, he said, within my earthly temple there's a crowd. There's one of us that's humble and one of us that's proud. There's one of us who's brokenhearted for his sins and the other that's unrepentant of sins and grins. There's one that loves his neighbor as himself and one who cares for naught but fame and self. From much corroding care, I should be free if could I once determine which is me. We get a similar picture from Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he starts to think about that inner turmoil, right? Paul says in Romans 7, 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I'm a sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, as it is, no longer I myself who do it, but the sin that lives in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. 
That is my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do what I want to do with the evil I do not want to do. That's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that lives in me. So I find this law at work, right? Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. There is a battle going on for our minds and our hearts. And this morning, I want to give us some practical wisdom from God's word here in 2 Corinthians so that we can have some weapons to demolish these strongholds. Write this down. Do not believe everything you think. Do not believe everything you think. Can I get an amen? Author and licensed psychologist Dr. Leslie Becker Phelps writes that thoughts drive through our minds all the time, right? It's like traffic. They might flow smoothly, but sometimes they get backed up causing a traffic jam. And when they collide, the impact can truly throw us off psychologically, making us anxious, depressed, or generally distressed. However, just because they are driving through your mind, it does not mean that they represent an objective reality. Just because they're driving through your mind does not mean that it represents an objective reality. They are often more of a figment of our imagination than an observation. So for a life that flows smoothly, she says, it is essential that you do not believe everything you think. And I love that metaphor. As the cars, the car thoughts, we'll call them, right? As they are driving through our minds, sometimes we get so focused on them. Maybe like these Corinthians, we believe this lie about our friend, that he's a bad person. Maybe we believe the lie that Paul is hiding behind a pen. And that forms into this slander and hatred against Paul. Maybe like these Corinthians, you believe. And that affects your relationships. But Paul says what? He says, take those thoughts captive. Don't believe the lie. Take them captive. Maybe the car says that you're not loved. Take that thought captive. Are you going to believe the lie? Or are you going to take it captive? And therefore, Paul also says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Finally, brothers, you know this verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, amen, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. Take it captive. All right, second word of advice for you this morning is to guard your mind from garbage. Guard your mind from garbage. The garbage that Corinthians were dealing with was pretension. 
right? These arguments. It really got me thinking about Paul's earlier life. You guys realize that Paul, when he was named Saul, early on in Acts, was a pretty pretentious person. You guys realize that? And here he is talking about y'all need to guard yourself from pretension. I, I think maybe Paul's using a little wisdom from his own experience. Because Paul had all the knowledge a Jew could ever muster. He was arrogant. He had convinced himself that Jews, that, that Jesus was not the Son of God. He had convinced himself that Jesus had not risen from the dead. And even at the stoning of Stephen, Paul didn't throw a stone, but he smugly stood on the sidelines. He said, why don't you take your coat off? I'll hold it for you so you can get a good, good throw at that guy. God intervened in Paul's life, and he caused him to be blind. And I think he did that on purpose. I think Paul had believed a lot of lies about himself. And he needed to be blinded and humbled to be able to see the garbage that he allowed in his life. And when God healed him from his blindness, he was able to see himself as he truly was. And maybe that's why Paul is giving the Corinthians this advice. He says, he says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And that what he had to do as he sat in that room in Damascus blind, he had to take that pretentious spirit captive. And humble himself and give himself to Christ. Paul says, or I mean the psalmist writes in Psalm 101 verse 3. And I like the New King James Version. It says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I didn't want to buy the New King James so I could put it up on the screen. But the New King James says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. How can you better guard your mind? Well, maybe it's your phone or your tablet. Are you using social media or maybe games to just escape reality? You are not engaged with your family or neighbors or friends, and you're locked in. Maybe you're obsessed with divisive conversations Maybe they're keeping you from being fruitful and grace-filled in your conversations. Maybe you're watching porn. And it's keeping you from real intimacy and objectifying sex. I think it's important for us to guard the garbage that we put before our lives, friends. Because it affects how we really think about ourselves and how we treat others. Third piece of wisdom I think I learned here is this idea of keep learning about Jesus. 
takes every thought captive and he makes it obedient to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I've said it from the pulpit before and I'm going to say it again. You cannot be obedient to Christ if you don't know Jesus. And if you're not reading about Jesus, you probably don't know Jesus. You cannot be obedient to Christ if you're not reading and learning about Jesus, studying his life, trying to be more like him. How do you expect to be more like Jesus if we're not spending every day reading about Jesus? When Jesus tells his disciples to take up my yoke, he was using a common metaphor that many rabbis would use. They would say, take up my yoke. And those, those students of the rabbis would follow that, that teacher around. They would sleep where they slept. They would eat what they ate. They would read what they read. When he says, take up your yoke, he's saying, follow for my example. Follow me, he says. If you want to win the battle for your mind, take time learning about Jesus. That's a spiritual weapon right there, learning about Jesus. Solomon says that the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Seek out Jesus. Leroy Imes tells a story about the time he was serving in the Marines in the South Pacific during World War II. He said, shortly after we hit the beach, our armored amphibious tank took two artillery shells broadside. So we immediately evacuated the disabled vehicle and we started darting from hole to hole towards the enemy airstrip. The sergeant began to check on each one of his soldiers to make sure they were okay, and he crawled over to Imes. He said, you all right, Imes? He said, yeah, I'm okay, Sarge. He said, but Imes, where's your helmet? He said, oh, man, it must have fallen off my head when I was uh, diving from hole to hole. He said, well, that's fine, but where's your utility belt? I mean, that carries the ammunition for the rifles, the canteen of water, bayonet. He said, oh, man, I guess I left it in the tank. And he says, I'm, where's your rifle? He looked at me with disgust and he pity because evidently, in a hasty departure from the amphibious tank, I was dressed the same way you'd play beach volleyball. And here I was, hopping from hole to hole, tree to tree. I mean, I cannot stress what many Christians today look like. We're in the middle of a spiritual war. There's a lot of folks who are sinning in the pews Sunday mornings. They're not ready. They're not ready at all. The spiritual war is real. Satan wants a divisive congregation from city to city, from country to country. 
Satan wants so bad for us to fail. And here we are. Are we ready? Are we ready for war or are we ready to play beach volleyball? I gave you a few tools today. Scripture, memorization, uh, don't believe everything you think, guard your mind from garbage, learn about Jesus. But maybe the first step for you is just realizing there's a spiritual battle happening in your lives, in your marriage, in your homes, in your friendships, in your schools, maybe right here in church. And you can't just show up on Sunday morning for an hour and think you're going to win this battle. We need to get out of our phones. We need to take the life of Jesus seriously if we want to win these battles. Now the truth is, the war is won. Amen? Uh, we're going to move into this time where we, we, we take the cup and we, we, re we realize that the war is won. But the battle for our minds and hearts are still happening every single day. And God has not left you without. Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, has given you the Holy Spirit, the power that you need. Now use it. Remembering that the bread and juice are a reminder that the war is won, also remember that the resurrection gives us the power to fight this battle. Mary Ellen's going to play a song. Come on up. It's called Come Just As You Are. And that's the best way to start. Coming with all that sin that we have in our lives, realizing that we're not prepared for the battle, that's the first place to start. Come Just As You Are means to humble yourself and realize who you are and then allow God to take over. So as she plays this music, I ask you to go and to the corners here to collect your cup and to hold and to wait as we all take it together as Luke comes and shares with us a meditation on this time together. Let's pray. Father God, I say thank you that the war is won and ask for your power as the battle rages on. Help us to get our head in the game. Help us to see the battles that are happening around us and to be aware and allow your spirit, your power to overcome. I pray that simple prayer because of the promises you have given us in your word, trusting, putting my faith in your son. And we come all saying thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.